Let us pray before we read God's word. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this Lord's Day. This is indeed your day, a day that we can draw near to you. We thank you for this assembly, O Lord, this assembly of the saints. We are gathered here, Lord, to encourage one another and especially to hear a word uh, preached uh, and heard unto you, unto us, O Lord. And so we pray, Lord, as we read uh, this word and as we hear this uh, exhortation, we pray, Lord, that um, all these things that we do uh, will be pleasing unto your sight. Lord, that as we read this word, we would, by your Holy Spirit, apply it unto our hearts, O Lord, and, and have it to bear much fruit in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for the scriptures. We pray, Lord, that um, every ear, O, hear, o Lord, who are here, would hear your word and, and receive good things from it, O Lord. And we pray, Lord, that as every application that is given, um, especially as it coincides with your scriptures, O Lord, uh, we pray, Lord, that all these things will, will be seen as authoritative um, and that you, O Lord, your word goes forth and it will not return unto you void. And so honor yourself, Lord, Lord God. Honor what you have bestowed upon your people and be faithful unto us, O Lord, for you are God who has steadfast love, who has steadfast love and who has faithfulness to all generations who call upon your name. And so be faithful unto us. We pray this, on, we pray this O Lord, in the name of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Please rise as we hear a word of the Lord. If you bear with me, um, I'm going to actually start reading in verse uh, four. Uh, the reason why is because we need to understand, again, the context of this admonition that he's given to this church in Thessalonica. And the reason, also another reason is because this is in the context of Paul giving an exhortation about the day of the Lord. And as we have been listening to the morning sermons uh, that Pastor Lou has been giving about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is kind of like a footnote. Uh, what should we be doing as we are waiting and anticipating the second coming of the Lord? So I'll start in verse four, uh, but the text, is, the text that we're going to be examining is verses 14 and 15. Paul says, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober have he put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. 
And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Amen. That is a reading of God's word. Please be seated. The title of this sermon and even the theme of this uh, worship service is the saints communion with each other. The saints communion with each other. This is one of the benefits of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is we have faith, we have faith in him and we have a great hope that we are waiting, awaiting for us, for God, to, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come back for each and every one of us. And we are all crying, Maranatha, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. Why? Because as, as we have been praying over uh, in this worship service already, there are things that we all go through and we are longing for that day. But as we are longing for that day, there are things that the Lord wants us to do. He has, and there's things that the Lord has given us, and that he has given us the church, the church. And that is a church with elders and deacons. And that's the reason why last sermon we looked before at the leaders, how we shall honor our leaders. That is elders and deacons, the one God has sovereignly ordained for us. It's, for, it's not the YouTube pastor that's sovereignly ordained for us. It's not the guy on sermon audio. It is the elders and the deacons in a particular church for those particular people God has given for them. And that's why we ought to honor them. But if we think it's just about the leaders, one, we, we are sadly mistaken. God has given us each other. And this is indeed what we call the communion of the saints. What you have just read is what we call our obligations towards one another is what we call exactly communion and fellowship. These words have been sadly mistaken in our day. We use these words in the, in the wrong way. But what we read is really what we need to understand, what it means to have communion with one another and what it means to have fellowship with one another. So all that as intro and context of, of what we're going to be discussing tonight. The teaching, Christians must, they must admonish, encourage, and support each other. They must also seek peace with each other and with all men. That is the teaching. You're going to see this in two points. Uh, the first point is Christians must admonish, encourage, and support each other. We will see that all in verses, in the verse 14. We're going to see that all in verse 14, 14a to 14c. And then the second point, Christians must seek peace with each other and with all men. And that's the ending of verse 14 and all of verse 15. And so that is our task for today is to understand these two points and apply it to our lives. Point number one, Christians must admonish and encourage and support each other. First thing we see is that Paul tells this church in Thessalonica to admonish, admonish one another. This is not the first time. Again, the previous passage, the previous verse was talking about obeying your leaders, honoring your leaders who have, who admonish you. 
And so the leaders have the responsibility to admonish the congregation. That's Elder Andy. Elder Andy has the responsibility to admonish the congregation. Now there is a formal process of church discipline uh, that is called admonishment, and that is to warn those who are on, who are going towards the wrong path. And the elders have definitely sole responsibility of that that type of admonishment. And that admonishment is part of church discipline. The second the second part of church discipline is the Lord's Supper, forbidding someone from the Lord's Supper. And then the last is excommunication, if the Lord sees fit to go that far. But this is just a general understanding what, that elders are to admonish the congregation. But if we think that duty is only just for elders, in a sense, the general admonishment, we are sadly mistaken. Paul brings it to every believer, is to admonish one another. Now, what do we need to understand about this word admonish? What does it mean in the Greek? How is this word used? There is an instance where admonish means to instruct, to instruct. And then there's another inference where it means to warn. And, that, and, and Paul is using both, really both means at this point, instruct and warn. We as Christians have a duty. Again, this is part of our communion with one another is to admonish one another, instruct and warn. Now, as we admonish one another, prudence has to be used uh, in how we admonish one another. We have to do it at the right time. Sometimes if you admonish somebody at the wrong time, if you warn somebody at the wrong time, you got to have wisdom in how you interact with that person. And if it can jeopardize what you're trying to do in order to help that person. And so I, I believe Pastor Lou said in one sermon, if you want to give correction to the pastor, it's probably not a good idea right, right after he gives a sermon. You know, it's probably a good idea to just hold off. And then, and then once the time is settled, you know, he's, he's, he's rested, it's probably a good time. If you have a question or if you have something you think that needs to be corrected, it might be a good time for that. So there are times where you should have prudence in order to admonish someone. The place, again, there are, there are times in, in, in the church, in the middle of a church service, you got to be careful on how you admonish someone in the middle of a, of a church service because all eyes should be focused towards God and worshiping him. And so there are, sometimes it's not, you need to have it at the right place the right manner. Now, this has multiple applications in the right manner that you admonish somebody. They might be a, a, a new believer, and so you should take concern of that. They might be an elder, and so you need to be careful on how you admonish or instruct or warn an elder because, again, he has authority over you by God. And so the right manner needs to be taken into consideration. And you don't know all the information. There are certain information that you don't know that you might not be aware of. And so if you quickly admonish that person at the wrong time, at the wrong place, in the wrong manner, 
You might not be doing it in love and it will fall back on you. So prudence is, should be taken on the time, the place, and the manner. Now, who does Paul call out that needs admonishment? We all need admonishment, but who does Paul call out? He calls out the idol. The idol needs admonishment, I-D-L-E. What does this word mean? This word means literally disorderly. It has a, a meaning of being in disorder um, or insubordinate. And typically this word was used in that day about soldiers, actually. <laughs> soldiers who would not line up in their ranks. Soldiers who, would, um, who, not, who do not keep their rank and their station. This word was used in that day to refer to soldiers. And as the Christian, as Christians, we are not just a, a family. We actually are soldiers of Christ. We're not just a family. We are soldiers of Christ. So this word has a meaning of disorderly and insubordinate. As for reference to what, though? Well, reference to civility in the civil realm, living without a calling. And Paul's going to get into this in the, in the next letter in, in Thessalonica. This next letter in Thessalonica. In 2 Thessalonians, he hits this right where it's supposed to be. And the reason why is because they think the Lord is coming very, very soon, as we all think as, as Christians. We are called to be ready in season and out of season for the Christ's return. But they started quitting their jobs and saying, well, I'm not going to work anymore since Christ is coming very soon. And so they were living without a calling. And even Paul touched on this in, in this letter, that they were living without, there were some who were living without a calling. That is being idle, disorder, insubordinate, lazy, slothful. That's one sense that it should be referred to. It should also be referred to the church, being idle in the church. And this is the context here. Again, he's talking about we should honor our leaders. And one way that you are not, that you do not show honor to your leaders is to be insubordinate, insubordinate to your leaders. And that is a, a sense of being idle. You are being disorderly and you are being insubordinate and you're not helping the church. It's, it's being idle in the church, not serving your brother and sister in Christ not outdoing one another and showing honor. That is a, a, a way of being idle, way of being idle. But it also refers to your own spirituality, your own personal piety. That's another way you can be idle. God has called us to read our Bibles, to study the Bible, to study the scriptures, to encourage, to be diligent in the means of grace. And if you are not diligent in the means of grace in your personal life, in your family life, that is a person that's being idle. Family worship is another way where we are being diligent and serving God and serving our families, serving our wives, serving, serving our children. It is part of God's. And this is a sidebar, by the way. In, in the times of the Puritans and even after in, in the Church of Scotland and in many churches after, if you did not catechize or conduct family worship in your house, you can be publicly excommunicated. Why? Because you were seen as a derelict father and a derelict parent. 
And so, and it's being idle. It's you, you're being lazy. You're being spiritually late. This is your duty as a Christian. And so these are what Paul calls out in this letter that should receive admonishment, correction, instruction. What else does he says? Does he say in this uh, in this verse? They must encourage, encourage each other. This word encourage means comfort and console. Comfort and console. Um, and who are they supposed to comfort and console? Who are they supposed to edify? Who are they supposed to uplift? Who does Paul bring out in this passage? The faint-hearted. Faint-hearted literally means little soul. Little soul. It's a person who has suffered loss. Maybe it was used for a person who has suffered loss of a loved one or someone who has gone through a very, very tragic event. Someone who may be suffering in sickness. They are the ones who are faint-hearted. They are, they are, they are living in a, in a time where their hearts are just so weary. They're so, they're, they, they need encouragement. And Paul says, these are the people that you need to encourage. You need to encourage the faint-hearted. These individuals can feel dejected because of their sins. And haven't we all felt that way? We felt dejected because of our sins. Again, if we truly know the faith, at times we do doubt. As it was says this, said this morning, at times we do doubt. And at times when we are having that faint heartedness, our brothers and sisters need to encourage us and, and, and help us in during those times. So these individuals can be dejected because of their sins. They could have a fear of God's wrath. They're not ready. They feel they're not ready for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to them and encourage them. That's what Paul is saying. Or they may be going through some serious, serious temptation. Now, where is Paul, again, getting this from? Paul was a, a Pharisee and he was a studier. He, he was very studious in the Old Testament. He knew the Old Testament. And in Isaiah 35, 4, God says this, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and will, with the recompense of God, he will come and save you. These were people who were scared for what might occur during their time. And, I, and he's telling Isaiah to say to those with a, who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not, behold your God, with the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Those are the type of things that we are to be doing for each other, and that is representing the communion of the saints. Now, what else does he say in this verse? Christians are to support the weak, support or help the weak. Now, what does this word mean, help? Well, it actually... <laughs> It has, actually has a connotation to clean. It actually means to cling. So what Paul is saying, to cling to those who are weak. And that's why I use the word support. Um, it's more than just, just coming alongside to help someone. It's to cling to them. Cling to those who are weak um, and those who are needy. That means really to be devoted to. Devoted to the weak. Devoted to the needy. 
That is what he means here. It's, it's, it's not just offering assistance, but it's being devoted to them and encouraging them. Now, the weak, there, there, there could be many uh, subjects that can be considered as weak Christians. It could, again, be someone who's suffering through sickness and disease and they're doubting their faith. That's a time where you are to go to them and cling to them. There are times where there are people who are weak in knowledge. Some people don't understand the liberties they have within the Christian faith. And so maybe there are many examples of this, but maybe somebody comes in here and they read uh, 1 Corinthians 11 and they have this idea, well, you know, maybe it's not my liberty to, it's a woman, maybe it's not my liberty to come in without a head cover. What do we do? Do we just quickly rebuke them? Do we quickly say to them that, that this is not right or something like that? Again, some people have different convictions and different understandings of what their liberties are before the Lord. And so we are to bear with them and forbear with those who have a different understanding, who are weak and who are understanding of what their liberties are. And this is what Paul gets into Romans. In Romans chapter 14 and 15, there were some who didn't want, like to eat certain things, certain foods. And Paul said, y'all need to get along. The kingdom of heaven is not about meat and drink. So you who are strong, encourage the person who is weak. Don't make fun of them. You encourage them. This is a sign of you knowing and understanding what their weaknesses are. And it's your duty to go towards them. It could be a person that's a new convert. That's another weak person, weak Christian. They might be a new convert. They might be immature. There's some things they just don't know, and, and they haven't been taught very well. And, and maybe they're just slow learners. You are to go and cling to them and help them, win them by your understanding of the faith. This is, we are to comfort those, even those who are immature. And again, I've said it before, even the most immature saint in this room and in this church deserves our fellowship. They deserve our love. Why? Because that Christ died for that saint, even though they're immature. There's some things that we got to take them alongside and teach them. Uh, again, this is brought out in other passages, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone for the holiness. For without this holiness, no one will see the Lord. And so you are to be at peace with those who are struggling uh, in the faith. Romans 15, 1, again, this is, this is opening up, uh, uh, this is kind of well rehearsed for me because me and my wife, we're going through uh, the book of Romans together uh, in our private worship. Uh, but in Romans 15, 1, we who are strong have an obligation, an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And again, the context of that is someone, those who are strong, who know what their liberties are, you have an obligation to bear their burdens, those who are weak. And the context is just disagreement on food. What should we eat? 
And so Paul is saying, you who are strong, and by the way, we need to do this correction as well. There are Christians who are strong. There are Christians who are indeed strong. That's not do false humility. It's not, that's not do false humility. There are Christians who are strong, and there are Christians who are weak. And the obligation of those who are strong, that God has given you the gift in order to be strong, is to tend to those who are weak and not please yourself, which is what he says here, and not to please ourselves, that each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. And so, sum it up, Christians must comfort and support the distress and protect the innocent, and to not do so is to murder your brother, is to murder your brother or sister. But the whole context of this, again, if you look at these things, Christians must encourage the faint-hearted, Christians must admonish one another. Christians must support the weak. Who does this sound like? The Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ did all these things while he walked on this earth. And this is, this, this is what the sign of his, his coming was. He was preaching to the poor. He was healing the sick. He was clinging to the needy, clinging to the faint-hearted. He corrected the weak and he forbeared with the weak which all of, all of the disciples were weak. He, he helped them and encouraged them. He supported them. And so Christ, Christ is our example in this. So by application of this first point, do you have these concerns in your heart? Do you truly have concern towards the faint-hearted? Do you truly have concern towards the weak? Do you truly have concern towards those who need to be Corrected, those who are idle. If you don't, you can't say that you love your brother or sister in Christ. And to not have concerns like this is to not love your brethren. And if you do not have love for the brethren, you don't know God. John says that in his epistle. If you do not have love for the brethren, you don't have love for God. The love of God is not in you. And so we must be reminded of that. We must have concern towards those who are needy. Now, in application, we, we have to make every effort to get to know those who are needy, to get to know those who are weak, and to get, get to know those, even those who are idle. It takes getting to know each other and understanding each other and asking the right questions. But a word of caution here, and I have to put a word of caution because in the previous chapter, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11, he says, mind your own affairs, if you remember that. In other words, he says, mind your own business. Mind your own business. And so while you pursue this towards the faint-hearted, the weak, and the needy, you must never be someone who lords over somebody else's faith. You are not, you are to represent Christ to that person, but you not the Christ. And you are not to be meddling in each other's business in the sense of that. You need to point to Christ and get out of the way. 
Because what ends up happening is you having this person to commit idolatry. You may say, well, that's a serious charge. How is that? Because only Christ is our Savior. And if we get to, be, get to the point where someone is coming up to us for advice and they have never prayed to Jesus about it or haven't searched the scriptures about it, which is their duty towards to do, I mean, elders have to think about this as we talk and counsel people. We need to point them to, give them the direction and point them to the Lord Jesus Christ and help them because we are not their savior and you are not the savior of those who are weak and those who are needy and those who are faint hearted. And so you have to be careful. You have to be careful and not be Christ in the sense of the Christ to your neighbor. Be careful with this. So again, our, our duty is to point to Christ and again, get out of the way and let Christ do his work in that individual and not Lord over their faith. Second point, the Christian must seek peace with each other and with all men. This, this comes from the ending of verse 14. He says, be patient with them all. In verse 15, he says, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Paul tells the church to be patient. And again, this imitates God's patience towards us. We were once idle. We, we were once those who are definitely weak in the faith, immature in the faith. So therefore, we are to be patient with the ones that the, the Apostle Paul just mentioned here. You have to be patient with and, and forbear and have long suffering towards your brother who is weak and needy. And patience always serves peace. Patience always serves peace. If you don't have patience, it can ruin your marriage. If you don't have patience towards someone who is weak, and your, your spouse may be a weak Christian or immature Christian. And if you don't have patience, you ruin your marriage. Churches have died because of this lack of patience with one another. This church will die if we don't have patience with one another and bear, one each other, bear each other's burdens. And so patience serves the cause of peace. And so that's why he moves on to the next verse, and that is to seek peace. That is, do not pay, repay evil for evil. If someone is idle and, and ridiculing you, you are not to repay that with evil. You're not to repay that with evil. Christians are not to retaliate against those who do them wrong. Never. They are never to retaliate to those who do them wrong, especially in the household of faith. This retaliation, this repaying evil, evil for evil, it consists of private revenge that's from a result of malice in your heart. A result of malice in your heart. And this is uh, understanding that you don't understand that vengeance is of the Lord. And if they are a Christian, when he says vengeance is of the Lord, the Lord allowed that Christian that you are upset with, that has done you evil, that if that person is truly a Christian, he has already paid it back. 
by dying on a cross for that person and having their sins put upon him in the cross. And you can't add to that. You can't. It is Christ who died for that person. Yes, you can go to them to correct them, but you are never, never to repay evil for evil. But if you think that's all you have to do, repay evil, don't repay evil for evil, you're still not getting what Paul is telling you to do here. He actually tells you to do good to that person. So you don't repay evil by not doing evil. But you you repay, you don't, what you do is you show grace, you give, you show goodness towards that person. And, and Christians are to do good for all those who hurt them. The Christian is to, forbidden to repay evil, evil for evil, but they are commanded to do good. Indifference and ignoring is not fulfilling the commandment here. Some of us think that, well, I'm just going to stay away from that person. That is not fulfilling the commandment. I've once had somebody tell me that, you know, I was, they can see it on my face that I was going through a certain thing. And I didn't say which person that it was going, that I was going through with this particular trial. And somebody told me, well, just ignore that person. I can't. We are in communion with one another. This is our duty for one another. We have to correct one another. We have to seek peace for one another, with one another. And that is the responsibility for every Christian. To be indifferent, to ignore, is not fulfilling this commandment. We are always, Paul says here, always, no matter the time, the place, the manner, the person, we are always to seek to do good to our neighbor. An example is, as you know, not to save a man's life, not to save a man's life is to kill him. That's not fulfilling the law of the Lord. Well, not to protect a person's reputation, that is being dishonoring to them. And that is too committing murder. You are still murdering your brother when you don't show them honor. Paul says outdo one another in showing honor. And so when someone does something wrong to you, are they committing being idle? All these things we are to not repay evil for evil, um, and we are to go to that person and seek peace. All these things are said in the present tense here. In other words, this is ongoing. This is something that we always got to keep on doing until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back and perfects his bride. And that's what we are all longing for. But this, all these things that we have just discussed here in this passage, this is being in union with Christ and being united with each other under Christ. And we are obligated to support each other in every single way. And that is the communion of the saints. And that is why I titled the saints communion with each other. So by application of this last point, lack of patience will damage relationships. It ruins marriages. It kills churches. You need to repent for not bearing up your brother's burdens. You are to be patient with one another. And you must repent of, of repaying hurt for hurt. 
You know, the whole phrase, hurt people, hurt people. You are not to do that as a Christian. You are not to repay hurt for hurt. You have no business saying someone who is in this church that they are not a Christian. You have no business saying that. You are not their judge. You don't know all the facts. You don't know all their heart. You don't know if they actually are saved, but the, they're just immature. And so you have no reason, no, you, you have no reason, no business saying someone is not a Christian without doing the due process. And that is church discipline. The church together has to say that this person is walking in the wrong path. And even then, we don't say that they're not a Christian. Even then, we don't say that. We're saying that they're acting like not, not, not being a Christian. Because the ultimate reason for church discipline is for the, one of the, the, the ultimate reason is the glory of God. But one of the main reasons for church discipline is to bring the person back to the fold. Adam and Eve were excommunicated out of the garden. Why? So the Lord can bring them back. And that's the whole point of excommunication. So you have no business saying someone who is idle, someone who has done you wrong, someone who is weak. You have no business saying that they are not a Christian without the process. And you have no business taking communion. You have no business taking communion if you have something against your brother or sister in Christ. Because you are doing, what you are doing is you are worshiping in vain. That communion is not just our communion with Jesus Christ, but it's our communion with one another. It's our communion with one another. And we are in fellowship with one another. And if you tell that person that they are not a Christian and you take, take the communion, you are lying by saying that you are communion with this person. That's a lie. It's a lie. And so you have no business taking communion. And by the way, you can learn this in, in Matthew chapter 5. In all of worship, God does not accept your worship. He does not. If you have something against your brother and sister in Christ, Jesus says, leave your offering. I don't, I don't want to even accept your worship. Go to your brother quickly. You may laugh. Ah, quickly? No, quickly. You go to your brother quickly. And, and handle whatever it is that, that's going wrong. And that is the way that you fulfill the commandment. If not, you're worshiping the Lord God in vain. Another application, ignoring, hiding, and avoiding is not fulfilling this commandment. You are still repaying evil for evil, and this is spiritual murder. It's spiritual murder. There is blood on your hands, and yes, you are your brother's keeper. You are your brother's keeper, and so you must be concerned about your brother. If you ignore him, you hide from him, you avoid him, you don't greet him, you're still not at peace, and you're murdering your brother and sister. Now, all these things, all these duties, the context is coming from a person with a regenerated heart. Therefore, you can't do these things in and of yourself. And that's why the church is not like the world. We seek peace with one another. 
even when we have so many disagreements and 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 not having fellowship with one another in a sense of you know ain't being angry with one another the church is not supposed to be like the world we are supposed to have a regenerated heart and the only way you can do this is by believing in the lord jesus christ trusting in him this is the christ that has saved all of god's people it didn't say he might save his people from their sins sins he says he will will save them from their sins and so you must renew your mind and the understanding of the gospel and it's the tools of the gospel that help you to do all these things that we have just said again look to the lord jesus christ who pursued all these things that we are talking about ask for a spirit to help you ask for a spirit to guide you into going to the brother that's wronged you going to the brother that's idle, going to the brother that's weak, going to the brother that is faint-hearted. Because Christ did that for you. He saw you. You was poor, miserable, blind, and naked. And he looked upon you with pity. And so believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the Christ that has died and risen, and risen, and risen from the dead and who has ascended at the right hand of God. Believe in him and trust in him. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this uh, reminder of what we are to be doing with one another, and that is having sweet communion with each other. At times, this th these things get hard, and we pray, Lord, that as we are doing these things, uh, that we would seek peace with one another, that we would always go towards those who are weak and needy, that we would have a heart that, that long for the perfection of your bride. So help us, Lord, guide us, to being a church filled with love, to be a denomination filled with love. And may your church all across the world, those who are even under persecution, may they all understand your love for them and the love that we are supposed to have for one another. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. And now we have a psalm of response. It's in the Psalter, 133a. Behold.